0: Are you hungry? I'm ready to feast on the Word of God, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you this new series called Faithful (laughs) Stewards. While you're looking for Matthew chapter 25, let me give you a single verse that this series through the month of January is based on. It's found in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the first book, And in that first letter, the fourth chapter, the second verse, Paul says something like this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Two key words. One is stewards. It's the first to appear in that verse. And the word steward means this, basically, through Old and New Testament, throughout all the Bible. It means somebody who is appointed to manage the assets and affairs of another. Is that not what we are? Stewards to manage the assets and affairs of God. Now, here's part of the problem in stewardship today. One, we think it's only finances, right? Most of the time, whenever the word stewardship uh, is brought up in a preaching series or a study, people go, oh no, here we go again, another series and message on finances and money. Well, that will be a part of the series, but only one Sunday during the month. It has much more to do with, uh, stewardship has much more to do, It deals with a great deal of things in life well beyond finances. Although it is said by some that one out of every three messages of Christ involve the subject of money. So money is important and finances are important. I've known pastors over the years who retreated from speaking on that subject because they just didn't want people to think, well, we're here after your money. But my beloved, if God is able to take the finances he's entrusted into our care, when we are good stewards of them and transmute them into treasures that are laid up in heaven, that's better than what Mercantile Bank can do for you and me. So I've never retreated from speaking on that subject, and I look forward to that being a part of this study. But it's much broader than that. Now, here's the thing. Stewards are appointed over assets and affairs that belong to another. I've observed, and so have you, over a long time in in, uh, shepherding the flock of God and being part of God's family, I've observed that sometimes people appoint themselves over things that they weren't appointed by another over. Right? You ever notice that? I've watched pastors do that. I knew of a pastor some time ago in my life that said to the congregation, you who are businessmen, don't you dare sell your business unless you come and ask me first. Like, what? Or you who are thinking about moving to another place far away or another state, God doesn't want you to do that unless you come and talk to me first going, is that not appointing yourself over something that God never appointed you over? Do not believers, are they not their own individual priests? Do they not have access to God for God's direction in the affairs of their lives? I think they do. I've got enough to say grace over. Don't ask me about your business or when to move. It's all I can do to handle me and my own. Not only is that true of pastors, I've watched it be true of others within the church body over the years. People who are passionate about some area but not responsible for it. Constantly trying, if you will, to dictate what should be done in that area of life and responsibility. And I would suggest again to the church body, as I would to any pastor, who steps beyond the appointment that God has given. God has appointed people. Let God be God and lead and guide those people, and let's not become responsible for areas we're not appointed. Amen? That gives great freedom to leadership and to those, and I'm not just talking about pastors, it gives great freedom to all ministry servants in this body. Let God be God. He appoints responsibilities. Now, having said that, the word faithful is critical in that verse because, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found, keyword, faithful. That Greek word is pistos, which means to win the favor of. And when you tie it to a steward, It gives you the ultimate goal of a steward, of one who is committed to be a steward of what God has entrusted into their care. And it is simply this. The ultimate goal is to win the favor of the one to whom all the assets and affairs belong. And therein lies the greatest rub in stewardship. You see, I have this notion taught by the culture around me, that all that is available to me and all that I call mine is given me for me to personally enjoy for my own personal satisfaction. That's why I need a BMW. Or a Beamer or a a Mercedes. We need that bad, don't we? So that we can freely enjoy. ah, come on. Can I tell you, while God gives us all things freely to enjoy, he understands this great concept that when I give you my assets, the greatest joy and delight you can find in your life is not to simply enjoy them for yourself and lavish them all upon yourself, but to give them back to me in a way that honors me and pleases me as your God who bought you with the blood of my son. The greatest delight is to please him and not self. And then other people, and I could share with you a story about someone very close to all of you. Other people would say, I use the assets that God entrusted into my care to try to please people and get them to like me all the more. And so I use those assets to give them to you so that you applaud me. Who's that all about, the one who gave us the assets? I don't think so. There are many people in every church we've ever served, including this one, who have been very generous with us. And I value them, and it's not them I talk about when I say There are other people who have given. And by giving, they've sought to manipulate so that they get what they want from the pastor. One of the men in the church that we went to when our kids were junior age bought a brand new $100. That was back when $100 was a ton of money. He bought a $100 baseball glove for our oldest son. And he owned a business and gave us free service at that business. And within a few weeks, I began to understand why. He then would get next to me and say, here's what needs to be done. Here's how the church needs to change. Here's what you need to do to lead us. And somehow those funds were used to manipulate to get what he believed was best. And I'm not questioning that he believed it was best. But the whole methodology, my beloved, failed to get the point that we are not here to manipulate others with the assets that God has given us. Are you with me? The whole function and role of what God has entrusted to us is to use it in the lives of others. I get that. That's right. But in such a way, not to manipulate them into what we want to accomplish, but to invest in the lives of others in a way that pleases the God of heaven and the earth. That's what faithful is all about. Winning the favor of the one to whom all the assets belong. So the great goal is to please Him. And I bring you to a parable in Matthew chapter 25. I invite you to turn there. And to stand with me, please, as we read through a few verses of this parable. Verses 14 through 19. While you're standing, can I just share with you before we read the context? Because a text out of context I've taught you is a... I taught that well, didn't I? Is a pretext. And so, here's the context. This is not about the church being a steward of what God has given to her. The book of Matthew is written to Israel, and the Lord has talked about a tribulation period that is coming, a horrible time. And he says, at the end of that period, I'm coming back to deal with Israel again. It's the return, not the rapture of the church, but the return to set up an earthly kingdom. And when he comes back to the earth to set it up, these are the kinds of stewards he's going to be looking for. And watch it in this parable that many of you are familiar with. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went into a country, or went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made other five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and... Read the last phrase with me: "Settled accounts with them." Say it again: "Settled accounts with them." Join me in prayer. Father, our hearts are sobered when we read together that last phrase. We rejoice in the first part of the parable that you give us so much, and you give us the ability and the skills that are necessary to expand that which you give us. But then one day we've got to give an account. and As Israel will do that, so will the church. We will do that at a thing called the judgment seat. And while we don't look forward to it, we rejoice that you will reward those who have used the assets that you've given to please and honor you. What a day when you reward us for that. Until then, sober us with this reality that you will come for us and you will settle accounts with us and we will give an account. That's sobering to us. We want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. So help us to find things in this study and in this series. That will motivate us to want to please you above all else and not step outside of our appointed responsibility, but live within it to please you and not others. Grant this as we walk through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, while the context, beloved, talked about, talks about, Christ returning to set up the millennial reign on earth and looking for Jewish servants whom he can appoint over his kingdom and wanting to find faithful servants whom he can appoint over his kingdom. While that is what the context is all about, there are still things that the church can learn about stewardship. There are general stewardship principles in this story that do apply to the church, and I want you to see four. I actually, beyond principles, could call them four rules, or if you will, four laws of stewardship. And if you've never seen them before, please take these down, take them home, and uh, think about them and talk about them with your family and about how this is fleshed out in your life. Here's the first principle. Well, it's supposed to be up there. It's not. It goes like this. God owns everything. Say it, Church. God owns everything. I own nothing. Say it, Church. I, I own nothing. So look to the person next to you and say your car is God's, not yours. <laughs> Do you mind if I borrow God's car? Is that okay with you? Well, let's talk about that. I'm a steward of what belongs to God. God owns everything. I own nothing. The verse says, the opening verse of this parable says, And he delivered his goods to them. belongs to God. We, who have been a part of independent and Baptist circles for a long time, have been taught that the tithe belongs to God, and without being told, we just sort of conclude the other 90% of our financial assets belong to who? Us. So give to God what's his. The truth is, this principle of stewardship shouts out, if I give to God what's his, I'm giving not 10%, but 100%. Are you with me? So the whole point is not that we ought to bring all of our paycheck to church and put it in the offering. Do you feel relieved now? Not that we ought to do that, but that we ought to view it all as belonging to him. And he then would be very interested, in fact, just as much interested in what I do with the 90% as he is in what I do with the tithe, the 10%. It all belongs to him. Not to me. Get it? The answer is got it. Good. That's the principle. I invite you to do what I've done in this week. Start thinking about what belongs to God. That he's appointed into your care. What has he given you? There are a lot of relationships that I have. My number one earthly relationship is with this dear gal that from week to week I often pick on. Any for those of you who are counting, and let me know after every service, last week I did not say one word picking on her. Not one. Say, way to go, Larry. Now say, try for two weeks. <laughs> Leave it alone greatest relationship I have on this earth is with that gal the only reason I can freely as you call it, pick on her is because we've got the greatest relationship of any married couple in this life it is not a perfect relationship but one that we have each understood since the moment we said I do We have each understood it's a relationship that God has given, and we one day will give an account on what we do with that relationship. For those of us who have been around us, you know something about what a verse 22 and a verse 24 mindset is. It's always a part of every relationship, it's taken from Ephesians 4. Verse 22, telling us to put off the fleshly old nature. And verse 24, telling us to put on in its place the spiritual new nature. And the stewardship of the closest relationship I have in this life for 44 years has been on a daily basis an exchange of freedom. Saying, hon, you're free to challenge me when I'm thinking or speaking or doing anything that's verse 22, that's fleshly. And call me and help me and encourage me. And please do it in a loving way, but do it. Encourage me to put on spiritual things in the place of the fleshly things. And would you like to know what she challenges me in? It's none of your business. <laughs> it's between she and I. But can I tell you this? Actually, between her and me is, the, I think, the best uh, grammar. But could I tell you? It's the sweetest relationship that over the years has done more to help us watch our own soul and being. So I'm free to do what I do because neither of us allow fleshliness in each other's relationship in life. And then I thought about the children God's given us. And for those of you who have young kids, you think it's going to get easier? Let me help you. Our kids, two of them, as of this month, will be in their 40s, another one in the late 30s, and the questions they ask now are far more difficult than when they were five years old and they had a single question for everything you said. Why? You give them the answer, and then they ask again, Why? And you give them, Why? 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 Finally, you say, I don't know, just because I said so. Easier to give answers to those kinds of questions that are not perplexing. But what about a 43-year-old daughter who has faced more in the last two years than is Job-like than most people face in a lifetime? What about a 40-year-old son who's made the difficult decision and called and said, Mom, Dad, what do I do? I have this opportunity to go to this church of 1,400 people and be a part of a lead team that shepherds that flock as opposed to where I'm at right now. How do I decide what to do? How do you answer those questions? God, my beloved, gives us the stewardship of a relationship with our sons, our daughters, our children that never, never ends and becomes more perplexing. And I'm supposed to be a steward that helps with that relationship. And then you want to get really complex. Think about the relationship that grandparents have with their kids' kids. From a three-year-old to a 19-year-old, trying to help them with the expanse that is in their life what do I deal with? And I, well, There's part of me that wants to respond to my grandkids. The older I get, the more I know I don't know. And how do I help you when I've never been three years old in 2014? It's a different culture than when I was three. How do I give them answers? Are you with me? I have relationships that, that are broad. And then you expand that relationship beyond my own circle of, of fleshly, earthly family to this earthly, spiritual family that right now for Elaine and me is you, Heritage Baptist Church. And you come up and talk to me about a hundred different issues in life. And I say to God, I have the stewardship of this relationship and I love it. Please keep providing that opportunity for me. But complex issues that a whole body of believers deal with collectively and a broad number of issues you deal with personally. And you want a shepherd who comes alongside and helps you. By the way, you want a relational shepherd, don't you? Your next pastor who understands he's a steward of you as a member of the flock of God that he is entrusted to his care. There's that relationship. And then beyond that, there are relationships with the guy, at the Toyota dealer who changes his mind oil. Do you understand that? You daily are face-to-face with people that I don't see. I'm face-to-face with people that you don't see. Do you understand there's the earthly relationships that you have with the far from God? And then, well, let me just throw this one out that I've been gripped with. Do you think God's asleep when junk happens to you in your life? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Job-like junk... Joseph like junk. It happens and God's on the throne and what is he doing? Did you ever think about this concept? It isn't just relationships and finances that God has entrusted into your care, it is the stewardship of the junk in your life that he has entrusted to you. What are you going to do with that asset? You can turn it into a detriment and a self-focused, complaining thing. Or you and I can turn around that thing that others view as drunk, a drunk, as junk, and point it back to him. That was not a Freudian slip. And you can turn it back to him and say, let me tell you what God's done with that in my life, hoping it'll help you in yours. Are you with me? We are stewards. Everything that a loving, sovereign God appoints us to. Now watch. Second point is, they're not going to come on, so I'm going to have to do them by memory here. He has trusted me with a portion of what belongs to him. He owns it all. I know nothing, but uh, I own nothing. I don't know anything either. But I, I um, own nothing. He owns it all. But he trusts me with a portion of what belongs to him. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. He gave talents five, two, and one. By the way, for years when I read that, he gave a talent. It's like, well, talents are pennies, right? No, they're not. A talent has more to do with weight than it does worth. And in that day, first century, a talent of silver was a 100 pounds of silver. And for some reason, the talent of gold was twice that, 200 pounds of gold. Now you just multiply that times what gold's worth in today's culture and you can retire for the rest of your life on what he the Lord in this parable entrusted with his steward servants it's big time stuff and I gotta tell you what God trusts to entrusts to all of us is big time stuff and here's what a verse 22 kind of look at that verse verse 15 would, uh, would look like a fleshly approach to it, how come I got two? He got five. How come I only got one? He got two and he got five. Not fair. As if to say to the Lord, the one who owns it all, socialism is what is fair. Everybody receiving equally. No. Key phrase. In his trusting us with what he gives us. He gave to each, watch it, according to his, say it, ability. God knows what he can trust me with and what he can't. Is that right on or what? No, no. The Old Testament generals knew that. Some of those serving in the armies under them were captains of tens. Some were captains of fifties, some of hundreds, and some of thousands. What does that mean? There are differing abilities that God gives to each. But be very, very careful with that. For God understands that giving less does not mean you're less of a steward, or getting less from him does not mean you're less of a steward. Remember the day when Jesus stood over the offering that was being taken with his disciples, and they all watched what everybody put in the offering? I think we ought to do that on Sundays. Not. But watch this. He stood over them, and the last one to give was a woman, and they knew that this widow gave the least of all, a mite. Just a small amount, a penny in our culture. And he looked around at his disciples and he said, let me tell you what I think about this faithful steward. She gave more than all. She was a more faithful steward, pleasing the Father with the smallest amount. You and I focus on the amount. He focuses on the faithfulness with the amount. So, because I have less than you or more than you does not make me a better steward or a more trustworthy steward. It's not the amount that's the issue with him, it's the faithfulness. Hang on to that. He trusts us with what's his. Testing us to see how faithful we are. Third point. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents. And the one who had received one, the story goes on to say, lost the one that he had. He buried it and gave it to the master. He didn't lose it himself, but the master took it away from him. So here's the point, the third law of stewardship, of faithful stewards, goes like this. I can diminish or I can increase what he entrusts to me. And that is a powerful concept. God gives me the ability to use it in such a way that he can take it and build it into something worth even more than what I originally received. And its worth is measured not by earthly value, but ultimately for the church steward, the New Testament steward, is measured in eternal value. Are you using the relationships and assets and affairs that I've entrusted to you to lay up treasures in heaven, to increase what I've given to you? Now, what is the difference between the One who had five and the one who had two. And, in contrast, the one who had one. There's just one difference. It's the difference between faith and fear. You read on in the parable, and I'm going to trust you to read it on your own. The parable basically says, the one who had one said to his master when he came to settle accounts, said, I knew. You were a hard taskmaster. Meaning, I was afraid I would not use it well, so I buried it and didn't use it. And I was afraid of the consequences of losing it. When I look at the assets and I'm fearful and don't use them in an internal way, I cannot please the Father, and there will not be rewards awaiting me. There's but one thing that pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So take that which God has entrusted to you. Trust Him to use it and transmute it into an eternal value. And that faith will lay up treasure in heaven. Fear will keep you from it. Anything you do out of fear will cause loss of reward. What you and I do, trusting the one who owns all that we have, will end up in eternal reward. Great concept. Let me give you the last one as quickly as I can. After a long time, verse 19 says, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Here's the final law of stewardship. I may be judged at any moment for what I have done with what he's entrusted in. It's possible he could come at any moment to judge me, right? Let me end it this way. I'm out of time here, but let me take enough time to tell you this. The last prayer in the Bible is, come, Lord Jesus. Do you know there's an answer to that prayer? John prayed it on the Isle of Patmos. And the answer to that prayer is from the Lord Jesus himself to John and that interaction, that heavenly conversation John had while in the spirit on the island of Patmos that day. The answer came directly from Christ. Behold, I come quickly. Now listen, it's been 2,000 years since he made that statement to John and he hasn't come yet. You haven't seen him yet, have you? We're still waiting 2,000 years later. And he said, I come quickly? Yeah, here's what I learned from that. He wants his faithful stewards to be thinking that he's on his way. Therefore, be careful what you do with what he's entrusted into your care. Makes sense? He's on his way don't have much time I must press hard to be a good and faithful steward to please him with his assets and his affairs that he's appointed me over well there you have them your turn oh it's not up there you gotta make it up so God gives so much familial stuff family Paternal stuff, friends. Financial stuff, money. And physical stuff, either health or sometimes sickness and disease. You don't lack for anything. God's entrusted you with a lot of relationships, a lot of assets, a lot of affairs that are important to him. Right? Right? Here's the so He wants you to believe he's on his way to collect what belongs to him. That's what he wants you to believe at this point. Just stand with me, please? We're not going to sing together this morning, but I'd like to do it this way. Would you bow heart and head in the presence of the Lord, please? create a holy moment with you and the one who is entrusted so much to you? Would you simply say, breathe this prayer to him. My Father, help me to be a faithful steward. Remember what it means now that you just asked for. Help me to be a faithful steward, one who wants to please you by the way I handle all that you've entrusted into my care, my relationship with my spouse, my children, my friends, my church family, all the assets that are entrusted to me from you, a house, a car bank account, a job everything you've entrusted into my care you've given me I want to please you with it would you make this confession forgive me Lord for using any of those in this past year as if it were all about me help me help me 2014 to please you in my relationship with my wife my husband, my children my church family my work, my employer the assets may it all be used to please you you were genuinely serious about that prayer and you'd like the prayer support of your pastors who many of them are in this room they'll look up with me Would you say, pastors, pray with me? I made that fresh commitment today, and I desire that for 2014. Please pray with me and for me. Would you slip your hand up, please? All over, keep them up high so we can see. God bless you. Thank you. We covenant. We will. Pastors, remind me at staff meeting tomorrow. We will pray then as well as through today for all of you. My friend, if you're here and have no idea what it is to have a relationship with God that understands all that you have comes from him, you have no idea how to use it to have a relationship that pleases him and desires to please him, could I encourage you, you may want to pray something like this this morning. Father, God, I long to have the relationship with you that inherits from you everything, especially becoming a child of yours. Make me your child today through faith in your son who died on the cross for me. You ask him to do that. He'll give you that forever relationship and make you a steward that has a heart that wants to please him. If you breathe that prayer today, would you slip your hand up? Are there any who did? God bless you and the others. Father, thank you for all that you've entrusted to us. Make us faithful stewards this year. And we pray for the next servant leader that you will make of him. Bring to us a man whose heart is already one that understands this is the flock of God that he has entrusted to my care. I must be a faithful steward that pleases him above all with Give us that kind of a shepherd soon, in Jesus' name, and all who care to.